I have never, I've never really trusted a white woman at work until I met her. Oof. Ever. Oof. And, and there are other white women in my life who are my friends. I've never fully trusted them. Yeah. Recently, I had a conversation with my friend Jody Ann about this white woman that we both used to work with. Her name is Elizabeth, and let's just say she was WBR, woke before the revolution. I've always wanted to talk to Elizabeth about the moment that changed the way I saw her, the moment that gave me just a little bit of hope that one of these white ladies could actually come collect these homegrown Karen terrorists. Can you hear me pretty well with this yeah. microphone? Okay. I needed my girl Jody Ann, who was the premier expert on navigating whiteness and white women at work, to help me put it all into context. And again, like as black women and women of color, we're not used to having white women as allies who are actually in action and actually willing to risk things in their advocacy for it. It's the gaslighting, and she's not gaslighting. I'll be in conversation with both of them for this episode. My name is Jenna Hancher, and you're listening to Lola's Inc. All right, so let me set the stage. Elizabeth is a 26-year-old, five-foot-six, petite, blonde woman. She's what black folks would call white-white, and white people would probably use the phrase sweet as pie to describe her. Elizabeth and I were never on the same team, nor in the same department, but we both joined a culture committee at our company. The goal was to craft some guidelines to help us establish our internal company culture. During the meeting, a company leader said the goal for the next hour would be for the people in the room to put in writing language that would help further define who we are. I remember Elizabeth raised her hand to ask the leader, what do you mean by culture? I don't remember the response, but I remember hearing Elizabeth say, hmm, let me sit with that. For black women, many company cultures have labeled us aggressive, not a team player, or a good fit. I knew that but I didn't know Elizabeth did. I think I was stepping into, I took a, a personality test recently and I, I got the challenger and that um, wasn't always me. And I, I really think that stepping into, <laughs> stepping into um, anti-racism work has, has shown me what power I hold as a white woman and how I don't have anything to lose by bringing up um, and calling out white supremacy and calling out what power I hold. I knew that I wasn't going to be viewed as aggressive because of the color of my skin. I was not going to lose my job. I was not going to be dismissed for using the quote-unquote race card none of that um so when i saw this meeting come up um to talk about company culture i honestly was like here we go here we go um <laughs> because i knew what this meeting could turn into and Given the given the people in the room and the white dominant room, I think you were one of two black people in a room of 12 other 
white people. Um, if not addressed, we were going to come out of that meeting having built a company culture around white supremacist norms and characteristics, given our limited white lived experiences. And that would be used to discriminate against black and indigenous people of color moving forward. Because we've seen it over and over again, where companies use culture as as this way of conveniently disguising, um, pushing people out because they're not a quote unquote culture fit. What I didn't know was that before this meeting, Elizabeth had been studying how white supremacy culture shows up in organizations. She'd been going through this worksheet by Kenneth Jones and Tema Okun that details how white supremacy culture shows up at work, which includes traits like perfectionism, having a sense of urgency, defensiveness, quantity over quality, fear of conflict, and binary thinking. So while other people in the meeting were bringing up ideas like, let's assume good intent and we're all on the same team, Elizabeth had white supremacy culture pulled up in big letters on her computer screen. It goes over 13 characteristics of white supremacy culture in the workplace and examples and antidotes to those. And so I had already done a lot of work on, on that before and I thought that this meeting would be a really good opportunity to talk about it as a team. What were your thoughts on how you were going to bring up the white supremacy culture document and how you were going to get people to pay attention to that? Did you have a strategy around, okay, this is how I'm going to bring it up? Or were you sitting there like, okay, Elizabeth, now's your time. Now's your time. Now's your time. <laughs> what, were you, what were your thoughts around your position in that meeting? I was very aware that, you know, this is a, this is a room full of mostly white people and the term white supremacy is still a term that um, a lot of white people haven't come to come in contact with or, or actively avoid or, or they go straight to the, the idea of the KKK and they distance themselves from that. So I was anticipating defensiveness and I was also anticipating that the ideas of culture that were going to be brought up in that meeting were going to fit very nicely into this white supremacy culture norms document. I was pretty confident in that. So I was, it was mostly like, me just sitting there bidding my time waiting till the room did what I expected it to do <laughs> so that I could then bring up this document and request that we all read it sit with it and then reconvene so Elizabeth said to the company leader I think before we go any further, we need to think about white supremacy. I have a document that talks about white supremacy culture in the workplace. I think we should all read it and use it to inform how to create these policies moving forward. It's uh, let's, let's define like why we call her a savage. <laughs> I call Elizabeth a savage because she's very focused on her goals and she is willing 
to risk everything to execute on something in alignment with her values. That's my friend Jodi Ann. I was texting her during this meeting to say, girl. You know, I'm willing to talk about, let's talk about intersectionality and being more inclusive because that's how Black women, before this revolution, right, you can speak about these things publicly without that level of backlash. And she printed out and started circulating documents about white supremacy culture. <laughs> I would never do that. You know, I, if I want to keep my job before this moment. So she's a savage because she, she will go there quickly. I think, in, I think maybe it's at some level she knows that she can get away with it. She leverages her identity and maybe how people discount her potentially or how she can move in space as a white woman. And I also think she does it because she's very narrowly focused on her goals of ending white supremacy, period. And I'm like, ooh, yes, that's, a, that's, that's savage. <laughs> One of the things I didn't really realize that benefited me deeply was being able to see women like Elizabeth and our other friend. Um, I'd never worked with anyone like that. And that made me realize that I need to be in professional spaces with people like Elizabeth. And it was very freeing to think that I actually could by seeing someone who actually did the work. I think there was something circular around on Instagram that said a lot of black women and women of color go into entrepreneurship, not because they're like, I want to start a business, but because they're like, I don't want to deal with that shit from these white women at work. You know, we fight to be in these companies, in these spaces. I sometimes feel like if there were only more Elizabeths in a world full of Karens, be like Elizabeth. I could work with you. You know? My whole career trajectory will look really different if there were Elizabeth types and not Karen types in leadership. You know, she said to me once, like, Jodi Ann, if you ever start a company, like, I'm going to work for you. And like, as you say that, I'm like, shit, if you start a company, girl, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm with you, girl. And you know, it's interesting. How do you reflect that in a job interview? You know, I've worked in a lot of different companies and a lot of different industries. And what I say is like, oh, you know, I'm a classic millennial. You know, I switch jobs like every <laughs> two or three years. Like I've had four or five careers at this point. Um, how can you say... I've worked for toxic white women and that has really hampered my ability to grow my career in any one company or industry. You know, I'm, I've been on a search uh, to try to find, I feel like a uh, Goldilocks. Is it Goldilocks? Oh, Goldilocks? education. Is it Goldilocks? No, not Goldilocks. Hmm. Who's the, with the, um, with the big bad wolf, the big bears. Oh yeah, no, that's it. Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Yeah. Yeah. Where they're like, oh, this bed is too big. Oh, this war is just too... I'm just like, I'm trying to find the, the right white people that I could work with. 
I go in education. Oh, this is too hot. <laughs> I go up in, in a startup. Oh, this is too <laughs> I'm trying to find the right women that I could be around. Oh God. Oh, you know? <laughs> and then I meet somebody like Elizabeth. I'm like, oh, this is just right. This is the type of savagery I need in my life. These are the type of white people I could be around. Like, cause now I could be myself, you know? Yes. Yes. Like <laughs> now we could do some work. Jody Ann broke it down perfectly. Now, I want to go back to the conversation with Elizabeth for a moment because I want to talk about how she positioned herself when she entered the room and why this first step was the most important. And the, the other thing that I noticed is that you came into the room and recommended that you take notes. Mm -hmm. Was that intentional? I definitely went into that meeting with a purpose and the purpose was to disrupt white supremacy. So yeah, I wanted to make sure that what I said was captured and what, what everyone else was saying was also captured so that we could accurately go back and reflect on that. Why is it like, damn, I mean, I kept a picture of her on my phone because when I would tell people about the things that she was doing, they go, let me see her. Right. And I would send a picture and they would go, this woman, this small, petite, blonde woman, her, this is the woman bringing up white supremacy culture without you. This is her. Why, why are we surprised by somebody like Elizabeth? We're surprised by someone like Elizabeth because she checks all the boxes for things about her that makes her life easy. She's petite cute, straight blonde hair, you know, goes by Lizzie, very sweet voice, you know? And so these are the things that give you power. These are the things that white women can weaponize. You think Elizabeth started crying in a meeting that the whole meeting wouldn't stop? You know what I'm saying? You think if I was mean to her, and she complained about it, that that wouldn't become a really big HR issue. She is quintessentially fits the archetype of the type of white women that we're supposed to save. And she's like, I don't give a fuck. In fact, I'm gonna weaponize that to end this white supremacy. Oh, I'll take the notes. Yeah, don't worry about it. Um, excuse me? You know what she's doing in the notes? She's writing down things that you didn't want to happen. She's writing down things that you would want to erase, knowing that everybody knows exactly what the conversation actually was, but the record would not indicate that. And so I think we're surprised because the closer someone is to that archetype of the damsel in distress or this white woman that we're supposed to save and keep protected, um, the more they hurt us, right? the more they're invested in their own interests and the more they're not aligned with black people. They have too much benefit, you know? And so to be honest, if there are things that were just physically different about her, you know, maybe I could buy it a little bit, but she just has 
all these like socialized elements of power and it's surprising because she doesn't use it for her own gain she uses it to end white supremacy oftentimes i feel like white women approach allyship through friendship and they look to be your friend and elizabeth never wanted to be my friend right like there was no like I want to hang out with you. I want to go to happy hour with you. She never asked any of those things. And the fact that she never sought to be my friend made me like her even more. (laughs) It really made me like her even more. What do you think about that nuance? I love that you pointed that out because that is so true. And for the few white women in my life who step into their allyship in this way, and it's like Elizabeth and one other person (laughs) who we both know, um, approach it this way. Because their work is structural. Their work is institutional. Their work is about systems and policies and practices and the things that uphold white supremacy. What is a happy hour going to do about that? What is knowing about how many slogans you got or what your favorite drink is? What is that going to do about that? No, nothing. And so when we look at the different levels of culture, right, we have the interpersonal, that's within yourself, interpersonal relationships between people. We have institutional, you know, the the structures that we have ourselves in, community, how those structures engage with each other, you know, work, church you know, community centers, da, 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 how those inter, uh, intersect with each other. Then we have policy, right? There are different levels to what culture is. And Elizabeth is at a structural systemic level. She is working on herself and interpersonally she seeks to learn from other people, but not in that they need to teach her, but I think she observes a lot. She sees what people do. She looks at Black women, what they care about, you know, how they're showing up in the space, how they're not able to show up in this space. She does her work. She connects with other people, but through the work, you know, our first interactions were working together and trying to create something through a racial equity lens. It was not her trying to like hang out with me. And it's interesting that people think that interpersonal relationships is the pathway to ending racism. That if we just know more black people, if white people are just nice, say the right things, that that ends racism. And that's not what, that's not how that works. Uh, we don't have hundreds and hundreds of years of people just unknowingly being mean to each other. (laughs) And so if we have more folks who operated through Elizabeth's lens, where she's able to connect with other folks, connect with the work, learn from the leadership of Black people in her life and thought leaders that we have and the records and the books and all that stuff that they leave behind, she's very focused systemically and institutionally and at that policy practices level. And that's what makes her so powerful. She's coming for your institutions. Okay. She's not trying to fill up her Rolodex and her LinkedIn and her Instagram with just black people. 
what were your thoughts on the response to you bringing up the white supremacy norms document? It wasn't far from what I was expecting. I I think this the overall vibe in the room was discomfort, um, but it was also what I think illustrates another white supremacist characteristic that shows up a lot in rooms filled with white people and white women in particular, which is disavowal of power. And I think in that room, there's, it, it's hard as, um, as white women to, like with our relationship to power, to realize that, you know, we were all for fighting for women's rights when it's impacting white women, but the second Black Lives Matter gets brought up in a conversation, we politely step away. So I think the reaction in the room was kind of this discomfort to the idea of, of losing power as white women um, and white people and denying the power that we had in the first place, even just walking into the room. Talk to me about the, I guess just in general, the experiences that Black women have with white women at work. And maybe in your experience, why somebody like Elizabeth could be seen as unique. I view her as unique. I've told other people about her and they're like, who is she? She doesn't view herself as unique. But let's, let's dig into that. Yeah, the whole, the greater majority of your, my experiences, and I think a lot of Black women's experiences in relationship with white women at work is a gaslighting experience. I meet a lot of white women who talk about equality, who talk about equity, who want to talk to me about Hillary Clinton and how messed up things are, but don't speak up for me at work are silent when things are happening right in front of them, who want to have long drawn out conversations about racism on Slack channels while racist things are happening in meetings, you know, who invite me to their personal life events and I'm the only person of color in their house. And you start questioning, are you standing with me? Are you nice to me because I'm the one Black friend or one Black person in your life that you don't employ? You know, and when you see that people might share your values, but it's not evidence in their actions, it's not evidence in their advocacy, it's not evidence in their like personal life choices, then you at least for me, start questioning, like, wait, can I be in alignment with you? Do I have allies in this? Can I actually talk to you and trust you about these things? I've encountered a lot of white women who see other women of all other intersecting identities as sisters and partners in the movement, but don't understand that for a lot of women of color, for a lot of Black women, 
their blackness comes first. And they feel somehow like personally attacked by that. <laughs> As if that has anything to do with them. And so instead of trying, it's like this attempt to like include us in their movement instead of understanding the different experiences of women of color or women who have other intersecting marginalized identities. And Black women, you know, are the furthest from being able to access a white supremacist patriarchal power structure. I can't have that. But white women can come close. And so we are trying to do different things. You're trying to access the power of patriarchy and we're trying to blow it up. So we're not in the same movement. And that affects every single interaction that we will have. That's where the microaggressions come from, right? That's in the miscommunication. That's in the tempering of how Black women can show up because you think I'm part of your movement and if I'm coming too hard, then that's compromising your movement, but you don't realize that I'm trying to do something different. And so it's not just like in those microaggressive interactions, it's also in, no, it's not just in those microaggressive interactions, it's what those link to, right? So you not being able to hear me or understand my contributions, you know, in, our, in the work that we're doing together in the company, it's not just you like not seeing me, not valuing me, which are really important and saying something that's mean to me or inappropriate. That is my promotion. <laughs> that's my salary raise. Those are my professional opportunities, my growth, my access to senior leadership and decision makers and influence. That's my professional capital. That's my money. That's my generational wealth. You know, so you just being mean to me because you can access power impacts my career development and what I can provide and do for my family and my community. And that's violent. And it's even more violent because it's in the context of you trying to tell me that you're my sister. It's gaslighting, you know? Where is someone like Elizabeth, where is her place to lead? It is, is it, collecting all the other white women because when i think about somebody like elizabeth i think oh i'm gonna send so-and-so to her or so-and-so to her right i don't want to deal with the low-level shit i don't want to deal with the stupid questions but elizabeth could deal with the stupid questions right is there a space for some white women to lead in some way and what is that yeah, what I would love to see from white women are a few things. One, get your sister, <laughs> get your cousin, get your, get your other white women actively, right? Calling them out, bringing them in, sending resources, having those conversation, you know, checking folks. Like, that's what I need to see. Actually go get them. Second is do your thing right? Lead by example. Model the behaviors that you want to see. Because for a lot of white women, they feel, you know, real or not, like so insecure, so unsure. They feel trapped um, by not knowing what to do, not knowing what that looks like. So they turn to Black women 
to help lead them. And like, I can talk to you about these things, but you, you have different tactics than me. And so you wanna know what that looks like. Do you know what it looks like to be a white person in these spaces and actually support your black colleagues, support the work of racial equity, support the ending of, of white supremacy in your team, in your company, in society, right? Look at Elizabeth, she's doing it. She's not texting me every day, asking me to check uh, her LinkedIn messages and things that she should post to whatever. She's doing it. She's do and she's doing it well. Has she made mistakes? I'm sure. But you think she's gonna cry about it? No. She's gonna pull her post down. She's gonna post an apology. <laughs> she's gonna read 10 books and she's gonna correct herself, right? So it's like, actually go get them and you have to lead by example. That is your role. That is your role. When I interviewed Elizabeth, she was very nervous and she wanted to make it very clear that she was a student. She is still learning. She's not a leader in this space. She doesn't think that her actions are unbelievable or surprising. She doesn't think she deserves any credit because she's further along than anyone else. She wanted to make that very clear. And so, you know, she, she didn't really talk about herself as being this amazing ally, this amazing advocate in a way. But I do, I do think it's important to speak to the fact why she won't own her power. Like, not only her power in that way, but she doesn't see her savagery. Because what she's trying to do is bigger than the things that she's doing every day. And again, like that makes her unstoppable because there's always more things to undo. There are always more things to learn. And a true ally does not call themselves an ally. She's aligned with the work. You know what I'm saying? She's like, oh, I'm an ally to this community. No, it's her. It's, it's her. She's hurt by white supremacy. She's angry. She's upset. She's tired. She's exhausted. That's on her. And from a woman who has the most access, she's hurt by white supremacy. It is embodied through her. And so what is she an ally to? When she herself sees herself as a victim, you know, as someone impacted by it. She no ally. She's hurt. And so she's not going to call herself anything or, or like really see what's about her that's different because she doesn't care about those things. You know, so ugh, I love her so much. So after this infamous meeting, Elizabeth went on to create an activity sheet for each employee to reflect on how white supremacy shows up in their individual roles at the company. Elizabeth has recently dedicated 100% of her time to help launch a new service called My Karen Translator, a free service for Black people providing custom responses to racist communications from Karen. I used it for someone who was in my inbox recently. Jodi Ann Bury helps Black women and women of color navigate microaggressions at work through her online courses at JodiAnnBury.com. This podcast was produced by Jenna Hanchard. Make sure you like, subscribe, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you spread the word about Lola's Inc.